Hi, I'm Tanya Mara, and welcome to this episode of Shakes Pod, where we will be talking with the two wonderful co-directors of our upcoming production of Twelfth Night. So with me today, I have Yvette Del Toro. Hi. And Aaron Southard. Hello. Oh my gosh, welcome to our show. Thank uh, you so much. I'm so excited. Okay, so for our audience... For those of you who don't know and who haven't been following our social media presence, which you totally should, we announced our season for 2023 and our first production at Willow Street, which is always a very near and dear to my heart production because it is always our free family offering, is Twelfth Night. Yay! 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 <laughs> One of the very well-loved Shakespeare comedies. Um, this is our, I want to say, 25th anniversary. And so we are bringing back one of our old favorites of Twelfth Night. It was also the first production that we did in Willow Street. So it's a very anniversary feel of bringing this one back. The season's theme is past, present, and future. So here we are. As we normally do with Shakespeare shows, we like to have some cool vision theme or direction for it and so our wonderful directors of Yvette and Aaron have come up with telenovela-esque 12th night my first kind of question for you all if you want to just give our audience some sort of spiel might be the wrong word but what what is what is this vision for you all what does this look like what is what is this the heart of this 12th night for you all what is the telenovela-esque what does that mean? You know, it's funny because this actually, this idea came up for Aaron and I years ago after we watched a different production um, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. It, we were just so inspired and fell in love with the whole concept of that show, which was its own story, but told in a telenovela style. And we were talking about all of these other different shows and Shakespeare shows particularly that could be done in telenovela style. And Mostly what we meant by that was that kind of big, the melodrama. And we were like, wow, you know, a lot of those comedies could fit in there. And we thought about like comedy of errors and we thought about Twelfth Night. And we said, oh, that would be really fun. Like maybe we could think about that in the future. Maybe you can incorporate some Spanish. And there's just so many possibilities. That was a couple of years ago. We didn't really think much about it after that. And then this came up as a possibility. That's kind of where that idea for us was born. The play is called Destiny of Desire. That inspired us. I just want to add that. <laughs> yeah, it was Destiny of Desire by Karen Zacarias. But yeah, I think that's where that idea came from. And we're really just kind of focusing on that aspect of storytelling, the the big kind of melodrama and like how real it is for people in that setting. I don't know if you want to add other things to that, Erin. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's high stakes in that setting. Everything is high stakes. Everything is accepted. The mistaken identity is, even if it's very obvious in a telenovela <laughs> that it's the same actress playing, you know, the evil twin, there is the idea that you just, you buy into that reality. Everyone's buying into that reality. What may seem obvious to the audience is not obvious to the characters living out that story. And I think that's one of the essential elements uh, within a lot of Shakespeare comedies is the buy-in of whatever shenanigans is happening on stage. So whether that be falling in love with a donkey or, <laughs> you know, having twins mistaken identities, a woman dressed as a guy and other women falling in love with the woman, you know, all that, I think really captures the same essence. And I think the cool thing is merging these two cultures together, which will give 
greater accessibility to Shakespeare to those maybe more familiar with telenovelas and greater accessibility to telenovelas for those who are more familiar with Shakespeare. Yes, and I feel like I have done um, our audience a disservice. So if can you can one of you all please explain if they do not know what a telenovela is? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just over here assuming like everybody knows what a telenovela is. Yeah. It's essentially a soap opera, but it is this the acting style is very different, I think. And even like tech elements, I always find that fascinating. What you think of like days of our lives and things like that. The settings are not very realistic. <laughs> the lighting is moody and such. And even telenovelas, like their own style has changed over the decades. It's interesting because they'll often take place in like if they're out in the countryside, it's like in like lush haciendas and like you have imagery of like rolling hills and like the topography of the area, depending on where it takes place, because all of Latin America essentially has their own telenovelas. It's a soap opera <laughs> in the style that, you know, has been done in a specific culture for multiple decades. And so all the same kind of story elements that Aaron was talking about, like mistaken identities, somebody died, but they didn't really die or Surprise, you're related to this person that you fell in love with. Oops, not really. You're actually not related. All of those mishaps and things are very real and true in the world of a telenovela. So you mentioned that each telenovela sort of has its own kind of style, particularly on the region. So is this version of Twelfth Night, is it set in a like very super specific country or is it just general or is it just a vibe? Um, can you speak more to that? Take it away, Yvette. I'm Mexican-American. My parents are immigrants from Mexico. And so I wanted to set this in the make-believe town (laughs) in Mexico. But I wanted it to be modern day. Erin and I talked a lot about that because I feel like often when you like transpose a culture or something onto a pre-established work like Shakespeare, if you set it in a certain place, it has the potential to have a lot of the stereotypes attached to it. And Mexico is full of many different uh, variations on the culture. It's very colorful. It's lively. But there's a lot of different things region to region. And I feel like people often have a singular idea of what that is. And especially if we're thinking like if this was set in the past, there is like maybe a singular way that people think of like old world Mexico. (laughs) And I kind of wanted to avoid that. And so we decided to set it in modern day Mexico. In the countryside, this will take place out in the park. And so we thought this will be great. You have a random hacienda out in the countryside. And then you have all of these people coming into the town and, you know, meeting each other. You've got your outsiders. And so, yeah, it's set in modern day to remind everybody that not everyone in Mexico lives in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we want a fresh, vibrant take that really represents both people descendant um, or immigrated from Mexico and people living in Mexico now and all different sorts of people that would come into a town because Mexico isn't like a monolith, right? You know, yep. there's people coming in and out of Mexico. People move to Mexico. We we definitely think that the cast will, will show a diverse look about that. 
That's great. And so taking place in Mexico and with this telenovela stuff, how much Spanish do you think that you might incorporate? If if any, do you think you might incorporate into the show? We hope a bit. We've been talking about which lines do you leave the way that they are because they're so iconic in, you know, in English, the way that we know them. Also, I think a lot of it has depended on what we've been seeing from actors and what we, you know, hope to see once the rehearsal process starts, because Spanish comes naturally to some people. And some people that are part of the Latina culture, you know, are, you know, don't speak the language. And that is absolutely fine. And so I think a lot of that will come out when we're actually really working with the actors. Some stuff I'm sure Aaron and I are (laughs) digging through the script and being like, that would be really fun. Especially if you already know, like, oh, the potential person who's going to be in this role. We know they speak Spanish, so maybe they'll be comfortable with it. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of that stuff is going to really pop up in the moment, mm-hmm. depending on what those actors are feeling, if there's something just kind of like bursts out. <laughs> and as as we're going through and cutting the show, I'm a big nerd and I love when things fit in meter mm-hmm. and Well, I'm a person who's still learning Spanish and trying my best. Every once in a while, I'll be like, if we just switch this word out, it fits in perfect meter and it has the same equivalent meeting. And that's that's exciting to find like those areas. And it's a it's a new world for me to to do any translation right of Shakespeare I'm used to cutting. I'm used to analyzing. Obviously, I'm not the best person to translate. But every once in a while, I'm like, I see the opportunity here. And that's exciting that I can then um, collaborate with others who do speak Spanish and like Yvette and others that we hope to reach out with and collaborate with to, to make this seem a lived in world and a natural world where Spanish and English are combined naturally. Right. And actually, you reminded me of this, Erin, when we yes. were at the callbacks. But I, you and I had this conversation really early on about how we're seeing it also kind of like in this world, regardless of them saying anything in English or in Spanish, we're living under the assumption that everyone is speaking Spanish. It's kind of like in Doctor Who, the chameleon circuit, like the TARDIS lands anywhere. And you're like, wow, how can I understand this like ancient Greek Well, you're not really. It's the chameleon circuit of the TARDIS helping you translate everything. And everyone thinks you're speaking ancient Greek, right? So I think we're thinking of it as like the audience is watching this play. And the assumption is everyone is speaking Spanish. Sometimes you'll get the highlights of the Spanish actually spoken or, you know, whatever the cultural thing is that we've added to make it feel more connected. You're just understanding it, even if it's in English or Spanish, because... That's just how this world is. You have to buy into that. (laughs) Yeah. And I I will say, I just, I love this idea of merging these two languages in particular, because, you know, like like I said in the intro, Willow Street is our free like outreach show. It's just really cool because not only is it great representation to have, because, you know, Yvette, you said like, oh, you know, we want to keep like the kind of iconic lines in English, but even like it'd be cool to hear those iconic lines in Spanish for Mm -hmm. our Spanish audience. You know what I mean? Like they do deserve to hear those iconic lines said in their language and then vice versa. Like, I love that we're opening this up for our non-Spanish speaking audience members. This opens up Mm -hmm. a Spanish door to them, whether it's the language or the telenovela aspect or like the colors or the culture or whatever. This also is accessible for them for another, like an, 
another way of it. You know what I mean? And so like, mm-hmm. this is why I love that you guys had this concept and we're, we're, we're doing this nice mesh of great representation and it, you know, it's, it's important. It's important to do this. Um, and it's like a cultural exchange. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cultural exchange. I'm like all for that. Yeah. Let's do yeah. That. <laughs> it's, it's also really good to keep in mind that like with anything, Telenovelas are not perfect either, you know, and there's always the potential for problems to come up. And I think that that was another thing that Aaron and I talked about early on is still remaining aware of the issues that are very present still within our culture, um, in the Latina culture, with our telenovelas, you know, things like colorism and just like stereotypes that are still present within that storytelling. And so... That's a thing that we're also trying to keep in mind as we navigate the storytelling through this lens of the telenovela and how can we, you know, we hope to steer away from some of those issues as well. And those issues are also issues that can come up in Shakespeare as well. Mm-hmm. And something we definitely want to navigate with care and and find, you know, is this the story to tell here? What's the important story to tell? What is uncomfortable that we don't want to gloss over, that we right. want to point out? This is not an okay thing. We want the audience to be uncomfortable with things, right? And Mm -hmm. um, understand that, but also handle it with care so that it doesn't promote it, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's those things that we have a different lens here in 2023 than in the past. And because we have a different viewpoint, we we can make a statement or a change. Yeah, you can pay homage to something and not reinforce the negative stereotypes. Like you can update it, make mm-hmm. it make it what you want. Right. I love that. Let's talk about the actual play of Twelfth Night. So with Twelfth Night, what what is it that like drew either one of you? Because it may everybody comes at the same show with a different love or different idea. Like what is it that drew each of you individually or as collaborators together? What is it that drew you to Twelfth Night, the story itself? Like what is it about Twelfth Night that you like? I don't know if you know this, Tanya. <laughs> you do. <laughs> but I, I've participated in the 48-hour play festival with Silicon Valley Shakespeare for ooh, since 2015 or 16 somewhere around there and not to not to brag but I've won I've won audience favorite three times <laughs> um but each of those times ironically um uh, was when uh working with 12th night and so uh, as both like a director and then I wrote to that included 12th night I you know got very comfortable with 12th night and also one of my favorite Shakespeare adaptations is unabashedly she's the man um which is 12th night the Amanda Bynes one yes, yes the Amanda Bynes one Channing Tatum Channing soccer. Tatum oh my god um, I'm a big soccer Tatum. person so fully admitting this on this podcast to be forever there. I really love Twelfth Night. I think it's a lot of fun. There isn't, I mean, there are dark parts and like Yvette and I will talk about it in a moment, but for the most part, there's nothing that's like really like the biggest depression play ever. You know, there's some comedies that it's like, Ah, yeah, measure for measure. It's technically a comedy, but is anybody yeah. laughing through half of it? No, no, no you're not. <laughs> Yeah, so I think Twelfth Night is just, for for the most part, a fun romp, right? And I think when a lot of people think 
Shakespeare comedy, they're going to think Midsummer or Twelfth Night. It's one of the ones that is commonly used in schools um, to teach Shakespeare to students. And so a lot of people have a lot of working knowledge on Twelfth Night to begin with. They like the, the idea of a woman dressing as a man and being confused and, and having that love triangle going on of mistaken identity. So I think that, and that's just one plot line of Twelfth Night. We'll talk about plot line two in a moment because Yvette, I can, I, I, we've had lots of conversations and Yvette has a lot of great insights about it. Yeah, I think just the general fun of it, of at least plot line A, is what draws me to Twelfth Night. I like, I like the love triangle. I think it's funny, and I think. You can also make a statement with it talking about gender identity. So I think it has the potential to be a really great intellectual conversation starter, as well as just the I enjoyed that kind of play. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And we've had, like you said, many conversations about this. I find this play fascinating in that I think it's a little more complex than we give it credit for. Mm -hmm. It's personally not my favorite, to be honest. I will say... Romeo and Juliet, one of my least favorite shows. And you directed it. <laughs> Until I was like, oh, this concept makes me like it. It makes me mm -hmm. want to do it. So I get you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that it's healthy to be critical of these things. You know, I, I'm not like, I hate this play. I'm just like, oh, okay. I have some issues with it. And I think as long as we have conversations about this or, you know, think very critically about the issues that it brings up. A lot of it is, yes, it's a fun romp, which is why we were like telenovelas. All of this like nonsense makes so much mm -hmm. sense in this heightened world. But then you think very critically about some of these things that happen in the plots that we tend to just gloss over. And I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of conversation that can come up here. Like we talk about you know, uh, the mistaken identity of like Viola dressing as a man and then like Olivia falling in love with her and spoilers, the whole like marriage thing that happens when the twin brother comes in and they think it's the same person. What happens at the end when Olivia finds out that she a married a, a different person that she had never met, assuming it was the same person she had met mm -hmm. and B. What must be going through your mind if you suddenly realize I fell in love with the woman that was pretending to be her brother and now I'm actually married to this man who I've never met? Does that bring up any issues of like, wait, who am I attracted to? What are, you know, what are my feelings here? So there's a lot of like orientation questions and like identity questions. Mm -hmm. Is it a consolation prize? Like right. It what really feels do? that way. Like, ah, oh, sorry, Olivia, you you get, don't worry, he's the twin brother of the person that you initially fell in love with. Right. It's it's all good. You've never had a conversation with this man. What does it say about Sebastian, the twin brother, where he's just oh. like, oh, yeah, oh. Oh, I'm, I'm getting married right now? Okay, yeah, I'll get married. Sebastian's a sweet summer child. I love him so much. He is <laughs> dumb as bricks, in my opinion, and I love it. In the most lovable way, he's a bit up in the clouds. And, <laughs> and well, and this also brings up a different plot point in which so many people argue, is Antonio in love with Sebastian and is Sebastian in love with Antonio? And I think that that is also something interesting that you could explore. Like Antonio goes out of his way to help Sebastian, even at the expense of his own safety. And then Sebastian is just like, great, thanks. Thanks for the money. I'm going to take off now. I called that plot line C because <laughs> Antonio's a sea pirate. Ah, uh, uh -huh. uh -huh. 
but then okay if we're thinking about like identity and mm-hmm. like you know you questioning like who do I like what do I like about yeah. people and what attracts me to them could you argue that Sebastian's feeling some kind of way and then it's like I'm afraid here's this lovely mm-hmm. woman who thinks she knows me and is like let me marry you and he's just like great I'm gonna jump on that I don't have to think about who I'm attracted to or what I like about people and she looks rich and she looks rich she's gorgeous she's she seems to be rich and she seems to like me somehow even though I've never met her she knows what she wants right and and Sebastian doesn't know what he wants so he's like you know someone's telling me what to do right and so it's like did he just follow the easiest path that he saw laid before him and is that like his way potentially I'm not saying that this has to be the storyline but is that potentially his way of like negating possible feelings that he was too afraid to explore and then we're not even talking about Malvolio plotline B Aaron do you want to start the conversation about plotline B B is it seems fun it seems fun (laughs) it It does seem fun on the surface (laughs) we've all been in that situation where we might have a co-worker that just has such a big stick up their butt okay (laughs) and you are like, I cannot stand them. Malvolio is like the Dwight of... <laughs> That's literally what I was going to say. I was like, he's Dwight. We're like, he's following the rules to the letter. And I'm yeah. just annoyed with him because of it. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you have these characters of Mariah, or in, in our version of the play, we'll be calling her Maria, and Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, and Fabian all decide to play this prank on Malvolio. Now, you might say a prank, how fun, how cute, except this prank plays on a very vulnerable thing, which is that Malvolio is in love with Olivia, and they are convincing Malvolio to confess his love to the per- to his employer. I was about to, to say, let's employer. not forget Olivia is his boss as well. <laughs> right. And... <laughs> He he understands the stakes. That's why he's never, never approached that because he knows he cannot. But they plant this letter that convinces him that she loves him back, but she's afraid of, you know, being in love with her employee, right? HR would be up all over this, okay? But the thing is, so Malvolio falls through with it. By this letter that he finds, he's instructed to do all these things, which... Olivia abhors and thinks that he's gone insane, literally insane. Malvolio's life is basically ruined by this. He basically, he leaves town Mm -hmm. at the end, also swearing his vengeance. But like... (laughs) To be continued? Can we just do 13th Night and it's like Malvolio's (laughs) villain arc of like... (laughs) He, like, comes back to avenge. Like, I feel like that's season two of this telenovela. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I will write it. Again, this is this plays all about, like, there's the face level, the, you know, top level of this, but there's an iceberg under it, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that these people are literally messing with this person's livelihood, making them be the most vulnerable that they can be, and having a good old drunken laugh at it is really messed up. <laughs> really not great and at the end when malvolio confronts these people they're like he 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 we played a prank on you and he's like you guys are the worst i will swear vengeance on you all and he stomps out and they're like oh he's really mad 
<laughs> we should go comfort him. Like these people need to go and touch grass or something. I was about to say, these just sound like the TikTok pranksters who everyone's like annoyed with at this point. They're like, yes. they're like making videos in public of doing like yes. pranks and everybody's like, I, I hate you. <laughs> right. It's not a good thing. And we, we do want audiences to be uncomfortable with how far this prank was taken. To prank your, your coworker, that's that's one thing, you know, if they find a bunch of little ducks in their classroom, twasn't me. To do to ruin someone's livelihood like that in such a vulnerable way is depressing. And like I, I could imagine like Malvolio, this is just gonna become an analysis of Malvolio. That's fine. If Malvolio um, is a great character. I it, he truly is. He's got some just great lines and great like it it looks fun to play that staunch rule person who then like yeah. But yeah, I could not imagine Malvolio feeling able to open up ever again, wherever it is that he goes to, you know, and if he ever does come back, like how absolutely devastating to finally feel like you can open yourself up and, you know, maybe finally open your heart and trust. And then it's all a prank. And the person that you thought was in love with you, like had no clue that anything was happening. I'm, I'm sure that he just immediately clams right back up. And man, that's just, that's a whole other can of worms. And we were talking about, you know, if we're doing gender inclusive casting, if Malvolio is played by a woman, what extra level is added to that? If you're a woman and you're in love with your employer and you're in a world that doesn't safely respect and embrace that orientation that's something in Shakespeare because we see that with Orsino being like I can't love Cesario it's a little boy but I'll tell him my love advice but you're as beautiful as a woman but you're a little boy okay you're like a bro to me that I really like you're a boy but I'm in love with a girl but you're still pretty and I don't know why yeah so like even and even Olivia like coming to the realization that Cesario is a woman and being like nah I can't be in that relationship so if we have Malvolio as Malvolia or even a Malvolio that's you know non-binary this this poses another question also to the world and it also makes it even more terrible that they're playing this prank on Malvolio mm -hmm. so um we just want to take care with that as well it's incredibly sad and yeah I mean we just barely touched on like Orsino <laughs> realizing that Cesario is Viola and being like we're gonna get married now because you're a woman and I can I can do that there's so much in if you really explore it through that lens of like attraction and and love in any kind of way, then you're just suddenly met with like, wow, there are a lot of questions that are unanswered and no one seems to be truly happy. Or does it seem like it's happy? And what's going to happen later? Like Orsino, you know, finally being like, wow, whew, thank God I was attracted to you. And now that I know you're a woman, I can totally dig into this. But you're like, what? hold on. Can we? Take a few steps back. Can you maybe think critically about the fact that you potentially were in love with a man? And why are you afraid to consider this? Let's 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 talk about this, dude. And are you going to be happy now? Like you married 
each other and now oof, that fixes everything that's Shakespeare for you well <laughs> right getting married everything's good to go thank you <laughs> Viola and Orsino Sebastian and Olivia it's fine yeah and and we definitely don't want to shy away from that ending of everyone being like oh oh <laughs> Yeah, there's almost okay. sort of this thing that you all can or could or might play with of like, you know, it's a telenovela, but like maybe at the end the lights go off. You know what I mean? The cameras stop rolling and yeah. the show drops and suddenly everybody's like, oh, this is our lives. <laughs> right? we've, always, we've always discussed that it's just the end of season one. Right. Yeah. This is just, that was just the season finale. There there have been novelas, actually, where they do a twist kind of ending, or they'll do, like, one-off episode where you're just, like, in the future, mm-hmm. or you'll see something happen where you thought, like, ooh, nice clean bow, everything's wrapped up, people are married, the bad guy's dead, um, or they're in jail or whatever, and you're like, great, everything's sunshine and rainbows, and then there's one extra episode where you're like, oh, wait, wait, hold on. Did the bad guy escape? Are they wait? Are they training this new person to suddenly infiltrate the family that was happy? Is everything not going to be okay? And that's how it ends, leaving yeah. you with that kind of idea of oh wait, not everything is happy go lucky. Not everything is going to be great because it's life. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say it's really reflective of life. Well, maybe this this challenge or this conflict is resolved, but more conflict will come. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting how this play ends with the question of the next conflict for these people in their lives. With the ending, like however you all decide to end it, whatever button you put on it, whatever. What is what is the one thing that each of you individually, what is the one thing that you hope that the audience leaves with, whether it's a sentiment or a question or like, what are you hoping at the end the audience walks out and in their car ride home? this is the thing they talk about or this is the thing they got from it. I want there to definitely be a happiness with the the cultural appreciation aspect. I, I do want that to be very clear and like, oh, that is, you know, warm and there's some kind of joy bubbling underneath. But I I would absolutely love if people left with questions, if people left thinking about these things that we've been talking about, like, oh, wait, is that not going to end well? I I'm totally for people not leaving feeling completely you know satisfied with an ending I think it's healthy and great to leave you know something thinking critically I think for me I hope that people leave with this feeling of like wow I didn't know Shakespeare was like that Mm -hmm. and I think that's you know all about the outreach at at Willow Street is trying to to get people to see Shakespeare in a way that they they were taught their whole lives that they have like the big colors, the cod pieces, the the <laughs> maybe British accents, and that's what they think of Shakespeare. And I w- I hope they come to this play and go, wow, I really like that they chose this culture to mer- to merge with this. I hope that we merge the text well with our concept mm-hmm. because I I couldn't I can understand from you know a scholarly perspective you know sometimes when you go with these big concepts the text gets lost but mm-hmm. really truly merging the two having them in a symbiotic relationship the telenovela melodrama holding up the drama of the Shakespeare <laughs> play right 
And so I I hope they come out of it with like even a, a better understanding of what Shakespeare was trying to do, because I think absolutely our vision is in with what Shakespeare was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, you know, again, it's just one of those things where like, we want Shakespeare as a company, we want it to be accessible. We don't want it to be this stuffy thing that like only, you know, rich people go to see. I mean, I love a cod piece, but I also <laughs> like things that make sense to the modern audience. Yes. It's storytelling. It's human. It's storytelling. Every single person on this planet has told a story or heard a story. And I think it's really wonderful to remind people that it is just a part of being human and it's all very accessible. And I think the reason why Shakespeare still performed today is because it has universal themes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what lasts in his work. And that's what should be highlighted in his work. We'll kind of like wrap up a little bit, but like what is if do you each have a favorite telenovela like if you're if you were like listeners this this is my favorite telenovela and you should check it out which one which telenovela would it be oh my god i'll start first because yvette has watched a lot more obviously um not latina so my my like true introduction into the telenovela world I mean, other than seeing clips that Yvette has sent me, and Yvette actually is an excellent storyteller. We used to carpool together a lot, and so she has told me a lot of (laughs) the telenovela storylines, so kudos (laughs) to her on that for remembering all the details, but the thing that I've watched um, has been Jane the Virgin, and if you are someone who doesn't primarily speak Spanish and want to understand the world of the telenovela, but still kind of have like a nice little intro that is a little bit more Americanized. Uh, Jane the Virgin is a great place to start. It's great because there's multiple layers in which there's a telenovela within the telenovela, right? So that's my my suggestion if you're, if you're like me and did not grow up <laughs> speaking Spanish and want to kind of get into it. Yeah, you know, there are so many... and I don't think I have a favorite because each of them has like great things and other things that you're like oh that's kind of oh I don't like that (laughs) so I I, you know what I'm gonna stick to Jane the Virgin because I feel like especially for the purposes of what we're doing I think it marries the two in such a way like in such a beautiful way the different cultures and it still pays homage to like the kind of tropes and ideas that you find in different telenovelas because like I said you know so many cultures have their own versions and they each have their own kind of flavor to them Mm. (laughs) and I feel like it still gives you the overview of that kind of heightened world while making it accessible and it's modern day also there are a lot of modern day telenovelas but we are definitely pulling a lot of like inspiration and in how to merge these worlds from the way that the storytelling was used <laughs> in uh, Jane the Virgin. I mean, it's just an excellent show. Highly recommend. Although if you're uh, a millennial like us um, and you know any telenovelas you will know from like our youth Rebelde was huge. Uh, I will say that and it created a, a real-ish band and that was a whole <laughs> phenomenon. So anyone listening who understands or knows novelas probably knows about Rebelde if you're a millennial. <laughs> if you want a crash course, there's also on YouTube, uh, Telenovelas Are Hell, I think is the series yes. by like Funny or Die. I think it's Funny or Die or College Humor. It's like one of those. And 
right. it, it basically summarizes different telenovelas and gives the highlights of the worst things that are happening in the telenovela. And it is so funny. And that's a good like little crash course. Yeah, it condenses the storylines into the simplest bits where you're like, that's so silly. But in their world, everything is, you know, huge and makes sense. <laughs> and has clips that are obviously you're like, aha, any anything out of context can be funny. Great. Last question, final thoughts. Like, is there just anything either one of you that we didn't cover in, in our previous conversation that like you just want to make sure that the audience knows or... This show is free. Come see it. (laughs) Bring a picnic. Bring your dogs or other pets that are allowed outside. Please, and tell your friends and get a big group together. There you go. That's what I have to say. I know we said it before, but I I just want to hit it home. It's free. (laughs) Free Shakespeare, everybody. You don't have an excuse. Well, awesome. Thanks for chatting with me today. I really enjoy you. You two are always two of my favorite people in the world anyway. And so I was really excited to have you guys um, and get to speak to you all about it. Uh, And so thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. But wait, there's more. This wouldn't be a Shakespeare episode without our resident dramaturge, Doll Picado's bard babble. So here she is with this month's bard babble. As Hamlet says in Act 2, Scene 2, words, words, words. This episode's bard babble is mortifying. The verb form, to mortify, used to mean to kill, being derived from the old French mortifier, to kill, and the Latin mortificare. Mortificare is made up of two Latin base words, more, which meant death, and facere, which meant to make. So technically, if something is mortifying, it is something that would make one dead. Today, we use this term for something so embarrassing that you wish you were dead, as Don John opines in Much Ado About Nothing, Act 1, Scene 3. At this point in the play, Don John, after a period of long hostility with his brother, Don Pedro, is being treated with wary mercy and barely allowed to live in the court of his brother. His companion, Conrad, tells him that if he wants to stay in Don Pedro's favor, he should put on a happier face. Don John replies, I wonder that thou, being as thou sayest thou art, born under satin, goest about to apply a moral medicine to a mortifying mischief. Being of a melancholy and sullen nature, Don John finds it mortifying to pretend to be something he is not. He claims, though I cannot said to be a flattering honest man, It must not be denied, but I am a plain-dealing villain. And as he very soon plots to ruin the upcoming wedding between Claudio and Hero, he clearly will not be in his mortifying position for very long. Shakespeare invented over 400 words. This has been one of them. Thank you so much, Doll, for that fascinating and educating bard babble. As always, if you want to know anything else about our upcoming season, including Twelfth Night, King Lear, and Shakespeare in Love, go to our website, svshakespeare.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media channel to get all the latest updates on our season's offering, ShakesPod, and the upcoming 48-hour festival in April. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.